going to ask you to please stand for the gospel reading, which is in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 22. A brother who sins against you. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two, or th- if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Here ends the Gospel reading. You may be seated if you like. The second lesson is found in Acts, chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. Disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here ends the second lesson. Thank you, Laura, um, for the readings. Today, I would like to speak with you about navigating disagreement. Gosh, sounds a bit heavy, hey? Navigating disagreement. But I want to set it in context because we're on a journey. Um, together. Um, just put up your hands if you have been part of the difference groups, uh, one of the difference groups. A lot of you, wonderful. Um, so you've been traveling with us these last few weeks and you've seen where we're going. Um, this is a journey of learning how to do relationships well in a conflicted world and sometimes a conflicted church. Um, On the first week, um, here's a little recap, we did a session on finding each other and just listening to one another's stories. 
I had a passage from Ephesians 3 that we looked at in 4, and remembered that we're deeply loved. God is equipping us for works of service, and we're the body of Christ together, not apart. We need one another, and Jesus is the head of the body. Um, and so we took time to listen to some stories in our small groups. Second week, we looked at God's call to us, his call to be peacemakers. We looked at Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, and how God is a reconciling God who has called us to be reconciled with him and to be ambassadors of that reconciliation in our relationships with others and in our own communities. Third week, last week, we looked at crossing divides, um, how Jesus crossed divides, because we looked at the passage of Jesus encountering the woman at the well, how he breaks all the traditional barriers and crosses these divides in order to see a woman and for this woman to find life in him. And Ray Vermeulen was doing the teaching on that session. Um, we've had some wonderful diversity of, of teachers from amongst you and amongst our congregation. I hope you've enjoyed that. Yes? No? Yeah? It's good to see our friends on, on TV. Um, Ray talked about how sometimes the brokenness around us is the result of discomfort or prejudice inside of us. Beliefs and attitudes that we develop through our upbringing or we inherit through the society and culture around us are part of what builds up the wall dividing us from another person or people. And these attitudes that create walls and divide us, um, we can actually begin to overcome them when we make time and space for those on the other side of the wall, when we listen to their story, when we um, practice these three habits, I'm going to test you, because so many of you have been part of this. What are the three habits we're cultivating? Number one, being curious. You are such good students. Number two, present, being present with one another. It's no good trying to do a relationship via WhatsApp, even over Zoom. We're called to be face-to-face -face with one another, and so we're possible. We're trying to do that. How do we be curious about the other person's story more than we want them to know about our story? How do we be really present with them? So that, thirdly, we can reimagine. How could things look differently? Look different. And um, last week, Brian spoke to us um, about crossing divides and also about the potter and the clay. Uh, we are the clay, and God is molding us and shaping us and helping us on this journey. He is the great divide crosser. And he's leading us on this journey. So today we come to um, the session Navigating Disagreement. Next week, Practicing Forgiveness and then Risking Hope is our sixth session. Jesus said these words, If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. If two of you on earth agree, whatever you ask in my name, elsewhere it says, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. By the way, if you haven't yet, I hope you're catching a bit of a vibe of what you're missing out, and I hope you've got some FOMO and you feel like joining a group. Speak to someone around you who is in a group. You can join their group or their other groups. Kathy, won't you just wave a hand? If you want to join a group after church, just a bit higher, speak to this woman. She'll help you find just the right group for you on just the right day at just the right time. And there's a group. I know it's halfway through the journey, but it's not too late. We'd love you to be part of the journey with us. So, there's power when we agree together. There's great power when we agree together. But we don't always agree on everything. And yet there is so much that can be achieved when two or more people are in agreement about what they are doing. Just think of any great achievement. 
from a team winning a match, it takes agreement along a strategy and following a leader or working together. They can't all be pulling in their own direction. Um, think about the construction of a bridge or a building. It takes a team who are moving towards the same tune and the same, marching in the same direction, building the same bridge. If one decides he's building a different bridge to the others, it's going to be a disaster. Or the success of an organization like a tech company, a cell phone network. I bet, look, of course there are going to be problems, but I bet that um, who's our most successful cell phone network in South Africa or Africa? Some would say MTN. Okay, who knows? This isn't advertising for them. But I, I'm guessing that there's a lot of people pulling in the same direction to make things happen. Maybe there's some people getting bruised and, and some bad stuff as well. But when we agree, my point is, there's great power. Or a church making a huge impact in its city. When we see that, maybe you've seen a church or been part of a church. Maybe it's been this church in the past. Maybe other churches where you've seen, you thought, wow, this church is making such a big impact in our city or in their community. It's so good to see how they are connecting with the marginalized, with those on the edges, how they are bringing people to Jesus, how people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something happening here. It doesn't happen by everyone pulling in different directions. It happens by agreement. It always takes a group of people working together in agreement. And yet the path to success is never an easy one. It takes a lot of input from conflicting opinions and disagreeing minds and perhaps some nasty fallout along the way. But the success relies on being able to handle those disagreements well and even on handling the hurt that's caused along the way well. That's possible too. In order that this team can come to work together in agreement towards one vision. And I would hazard a guess that if you consider yourself a part of St. John's, you like the sounds of that. A church making an impact in its city. The sounds of a, a team coming together in agreement towards one vision. It sounds good, doesn't it? But I want to talk today about navigating two kinds of disagreement. And I think it's important to just place them out there and place them separately. Um, two different kinds of disagreement, and we see them in these two passages that Laura has just read to us. The first one is when we just disagree with one another and we just can't see eye to eye. How does the Bible teach us to handle that? Not you're right and I'm wrong, this is the only way, my way or the highway, but where there's disagreement and we recognize actually, especially if you're someone else looking in and you're not on a side, you go, well, you're right and you're right. That kind of disagreement, how do we handle it as followers of Jesus? Secondly, when we don't just disagree about the detail, but we actually cause the other person pain in the process. And that's what the Bible calls sin. It calls it when we sin against a brother or a sister. In this passage from Matthew 18, the word that's translated into brother or sister is a fellow disciple, a fellow, a fellow Jesus follower. He's not talking about those outside the church. He's talking about when we sin against one another as followers of Jesus. What should we do? And here's a passage that teaches us on that. And the Acts passage 
which um, Laura Red teaches us about just disagreements, where we can't see eye to eye. But we're not sinning, we're not causing pain necessarily. Um, there's not something to repent of, but there's disagreement. So I want to look at those two. And it won't be any surprise to you that in both situations, these practices that come from the teaching of Jesus of being curious, leaning in, listening to the other person, being present with one another, and reimagining, are three of our greatest friends in this regard. How can we apply these habits in both situations? So firstly, when we disagree with someone else, and um, I want us to, to watch a story now, which comes from the difference journey, but we're not using it this week in the difference journey. We're actually going to be using, um, or listening to Yolanda's story. Um, thank you, Yolanda, for um, being willing to share your story this week. So if you want to hear Yolanda's story, that's an advert for joining a group. You have to go to the group to hear Yolanda's story. Um, and if you want to know what strange thing she's taken up in her life at this time, then you have to come along to hear more. Um, and you'll be in intrigued. <laughs> but this is Mariam's story. We've taken it out of the difference journey and we've brought it here. Let's just listen to this story. Egypt at the time, um, we had our family in Egypt at the time, 
particularly thinking of the differences that me and my mom may have politically, but I always really come into those spaces and to ask questions to get to know her story better, to get to know where she's coming from. In the silence, we kept so much unsaid uh, that it felt like a gap widened, and yet when we actually questioned each other and came into relationship with one another, uh, it wasn't, it was actually just a case of coming closer to each, other, each other's humanity. It's a powerful story how the lines that run and the divisions and the um, disagreements that run through national um, territory can play out in a family um, situation and how God can bring us to a different place of healing and wholeness. Um, in our small groups this week, we're going to be looking at the woman who washes Jesus' feet um, and anoints him in front of um, Simon the Pharisee. But for now, I'd just like to look at this passage from Acts that Laura read to, read to us. Paul and Barnabas. You've got two champions, heroes of the faith. Barnabas the encourager. Paul the great apostle who taught and, and wrote and, and we've received so much from him. Um, and they're heading out on this journey and Barnabas feels it would be quite helpful to take Mark along, or John Mark. And Paul thinks, no, it won't be helpful because of a previous experience. And they come to quite a sharp disagreement. So what can we learn from this disagreement? So there's the next slide, please. Um, the first thing to remember when we come into disagreement, now remember we're talking about disagreement, not when your brother or sister sins against you or you sin against them. Disagreement, like Marion was talking about. No matter how small or large, first thing is to remember that God is with both of you. God is with both of you. In the passage, we have two Jesus-loving, serving disciples, leaders, Paul and Barnabas, and God is clearly with both of them and uses both of them, and we see the fruit of both of their ministries. And from this place of disagreement, they choose to go their separate ways, and God continues to use them and build his church. So the start of disagreement is to remember God is with us both, not just with me, not just with you. The second is not to feel um, threatened by divergent views. It can be a threatening place, and maybe our past hurts or experience lead us to think that if we're in disagreement, this is going to end, like Mariam said, with relationship breakdown. In the face of disagreement, our natural instinct may be to withdraw. Don't rock the boat. Stay out of it. Or to charge and get angry. In one of the marriage courses that we've used, Brenda and I, they talk about two ways of dealing with conflict, the rhino and the hedgehog. We quickly identified who the rhino and the hedgehog are in our relationship. When there's conflict, Brenda retreats like a hedgehog, curls up in a ball, and doesn't want to talk or engage. And I find that hugely frustrating. I'm the rhino and I charge until we have a result. I want to charge, charge, charge. So if you see me charging while I'm part of this team, please feel free to say, hey, rhino moment. Because I need to be reminded I've got a sharp horn and I've got to be careful. 
because I can cause hurt and I can cause pain as I charge. And so I need to learn to hold back and listen more. My wife, I think, would agree with me. I didn't get a permission this morning, but can you give me a nod? Yeah, there's a nod. <laughs> um, needs to come out. And we both have. We've learned to, to be a bit more co- courageous in speaking, even though sometimes she feels rhinoceros stampeded over, um, to be brave in coming out and speaking. And I have to learn to hold back and um, listen. Don't feel threatened by divergent views. Both responses, being the hedgehog or the rhino, will keep us stuck in the, exactly the same place where we are. We won't move forward. Neither are helpful strategies for talking about disagreement. Imagine what would happen if our world, in our world, if every person involved in conflict in the whole world sought to understand their enemy better. Just imagine. So, thirdly, be curious and be present. Listen to their story and come with a curiosity that says, maybe there's something I could learn here. I know I've got my opinion, but maybe there's something I could learn from you. Maybe there's something, an angle I don't see on this that you have that I don't. Disagreement does not have to be sin. It becomes sin when we won't talk about it or when we get angry with one another. Then we have sin to deal with. Paul and Barnabas' disagreement may have been extreme, but we don't see them fighting it out. In the meantime, we must resist seeing one side as better or worse. We've got to come with the curiosity to see. Um, I disagree with you completely about what you're saying, but I'm going to make the choice to listen. I'm going to make the choice to be present with you. And then maybe we see an angle that we couldn't see before. When we're curious about those we disagree with and engage authentically, we can build trust, which is what we need in order to have the difficult conversations. We need trust. Otherwise, it does break down. And to see where we might need to change. This is not about agreeing or saying that difference doesn't matter. It's not about, oh, it's all relative. It doesn't matter whether it's here or there. This is about choosing a different way to engage with deep disagreements. A mature way, a higher way, a God way. And fourthly, trust that God is able to bring good through your disagreement. Whether you come to agree with each other or not, in the situation of Paul and Barnabas, they went their separate ways. But instead of having one missionary team, we had two. Instead of having uh, one lot of churches planted, we had two. And in churches being encouraged, more, more was happening. And it doesn't talk about that in the Bible as a negative thing. It talks about it as good, as this is what God did in their midst, despite or maybe even because of their disagreement. And later there are other um, passages that hint that Paul and Barnabas were still in relationship and still honored one another in their writing, in Paul's writing certainly. God can find a way if you make the space. Um, Sometimes to overrule your disagreement. God can bring good from this as he did with Paul and Barnabas. 
So that's the one kind. That's, that's disagreement. And I, I'm not going to spend a long time there. We're going to go more into it in our groups this week. But secondly, I want to talk about the, the disagreement that looks more like when we sin against a fellow disciple, when we sin against one another. How do we deal with that? What does um, Jesus have to teach us on that? From this passage in Matthew chapter 18. So firstly, what do we mean about sinning against someone else? Um, can we go up one? There we go. What do we mean by sinning against someone else? You might think, I know exactly what that means, or you might be thinking, well, actually, I'm not sure. What do you mean? How would I sin against someone else? And so just to think practically about it, we sin when our parents are dishonored by us. Um, that comes from Exodus and the commandments. We sin by murdering someone. Or Jesus says, even thinking negatively about them. Um, we sin against our spouse by committing adultery or against our future spouse. Um, the Bible also says when we sin um, in sexual sin, we sin against ourselves. We sin against someone by stealing from them or by distorting the truth about them, by saying something about them that may not be true. We sin against someone when we commit um, sexual sins with them. We sin with someone, against someone by calling them names or by displaying anger or arguing. Hence, when we disagree, if we can disagree without getting into anger and arguments, we keep this a wholesome situation. When it degrades or denigrates into argument and anger and rage, then we're talking about some of the things which are sinful behavior in our lives, and we have to deal with that. So what happens when we do this? Uh, well, firstly, when you sin against um, someone else, um, this is, uh, especially a fellow believer, this is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, when you sin against them in this way and you wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. So our sin is never just, oh, it's just you and me. I'm hurting myself and the image of God in me. I'm hurting you and the image of God in you. I may be hurting others. There are ripple effects through this. And I'm hurting Jesus because you're his daughter, you're his son. And this passage says, when you sin against them, you're actually sinning against Jesus Christ. Christ. Whoa, that's heaven. Oh, but it wasn't so bad. Jesus also says this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye or your sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? In other words, when you're thinking about this and how your brother or sister has sinned against you, now how are you going to go and deal with it? First think, what about me? What's the, the plank in my own eye that I might not be seeing? What do I need to repent of before I bring something, in, a, a way in which my brother or sister has sinned against me? And Psalm 51 gives us a beautiful model of how David confesses his own sin before God. The humility of heart that says, God, I just want to be pure before you. Forgive me the sin in my life. And repentance and, and, and asking for forgiveness of God and of one another is always specific. It's to actually name the thing. It's not just, I'm sorry for the other day. It's, I'm sorry that the other day I spoke about you in a bad way or that I was angry with you. That was wrong. It was sinful, and I'm sorry, and I want to apologize. That takes ownership. But we dodge the bullet sometimes because it's awkward. 
doesn't feel nice. It takes maturity as a disciple to be able to do that. So how does Matthew 18 help us to deal with these things? Number one, first check your own heart. Check the state of your own heart. This passage is sandwiched between leaving the 99 and the unmerciful servants. In other words, Jesus is speaking to his disciples already and asking them, how much are you willing to do whatever it takes? Leave the 99 for the one. Probably no shepherd would leave 99 sheep wandering just for one. But Jesus exaggerates the point. He says, you know, this is how far I would go for you. Now, what will you do? And in the other parable of the unmerciful servant, he's saying, you know, this is how someone who was forgiven didn't show mercy to his brother or sister. Now, what about you? How merciful is your heart? And it's a check on our own hearts. Peter comes to Jesus, and I've, I've heard this in conversations at St. John's. Someone's saying to me, well, how many times must I forgive? And Peter asked the same question um, to Jesus. How many times? And Jesus says, uh, he says, must I forgive seven times, up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. It's not a specific number. He's saying you need to go on forgiving. Check your heart. Is it humble? Is it forgiving? Is it ready to forgive if you need to, to ask someone or tell them about something, some way in which they've sinned against you that's really hurt? Is your heart humble in doing that? Do you come with love? And do you come having already forgiven them or being willing to forgive and choose that path? Or do you come armed for a fight? Or that's me, the rhino, maybe like the hedgehog, just avoiding it altogether. Neither strategy works. Secondly, go alone. Go alone, Matthew 18 says it so clearly. says, if your brother sins against you, applies to sisters too, if your fellow disciple sins against you, go and show them their fault, just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. And I put a line there because I believe that's where the story was meant to end. I believe that Jesus wanted um, the unity and the wholeness of his body. And he wanted in every instance that we first would go and speak to the person and deal with it. And so that would be the end of it. We would be able to speak humbly. They would humbly say, I'm so sorry I did that. Can you forgive me? And you would be able to be united with your brother or sister again and move on and rebuild or continue to build the relationship and the community of which you're a part. But Jesus knew that it wasn't always going to be so, that some hearts are hard, and that person might not be, you know, if, if you have already checked your heart and you've gone and spoken to them, and that person might not be in a position to um, admit that what they did hurt you, they caused you pain, they sinned against you and against God. And you're not coming to accuse and judge, but you're coming to seek wholeness and reconciliation. And if their heart is hard, then what do you do? Well, he says, carry on, go with, try it again, but this time take two or three. If they will not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Not so that you can stack up witness, uh, witness evidence against them, 
testimonies that look how bad they are, but so that together, hopefully, you could come to a place. And there could be another line there. You know, if, if number two didn't work, then hope, please, God, would number three work. That by coming with, um, maybe it's another friend in church. Maybe it's a, a mutual friend that you both have. Maybe it's your soul leader or your difference course leader or a member of the leadership of the church, pastorate, myself. You get someone with you, come along, two or three others. Maybe then their heart will soften and they'll say, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I really want to put this behind us. Can you forgive me? That's, that's the best, that we actually get to that place. That's our purpose. That's our desire. But sometimes Jesus knew it wasn't going to be like that. And so he says, if he still refuses to listen, tell it to the church, the whole church. This is scary. This passage has been used a lot for abuse in the church. This has been used so incorrectly, and I feel that many people have been hurt because we jumped the gun. We didn't deal with this through number one. Or then we didn't try number two or three. Sometimes it's straight to the church. Or it's gossiping to the church behind people's backs. It becomes worse. And Jesus says... If they refuse to listen, go to the church. Tell the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Yo. <laughs> we don't really like that stuff. It'd be nice if we could delete some words from the Bible, wouldn't it? These words in red that Jesus spoke. What was he thinking? It's quite harsh. And we think, well, we, we obsess about that one. Would Jesus really want us to kick someone out of the church? Well, no, what he'd really want is that we came with a humble heart and that that was the resolution. Or that one or two, you know, that just the two of us spoke. That we were actually able to be mature enough as his followers to resolve the situation. And this model is so very countercultural. The world's way is to do this process in reverse. Sometimes our way is to do this, the world's way in reverse. We start with everyone, we start by cutting them off. We start by telling, do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? And when we do that, it becomes more and more difficult to resolve, to get back to stage one, because our hearts are more and more hardened. And the possibility of coming together in humility to resolve the situation becomes more and more impossible because there's a whole community looking, saying, how could you? And it becomes a breeding ground for the conflict to fester and to grow. And if we use this model of Jesus, so many conflicts would be resolved at step number one. That's step number one. So, as I conclude, do you want to be part of a church that makes a great impact on their city? Jesus says, this is where it begins. This is where it starts. I want to encourage you to bring that person. If there's someone, as I've been speaking, you've been thinking don't know how to deal with this disagreement. Or maybe you're thinking, I've really wronged that person because of how I've spoken about them when they weren't even in the room, because of how I've dealt with the situation. I've sinned against them and against God and against myself. I need to deal with this and have a humble heart. Not think, oh, it's too late, it's all over. But to think, no, 
God has given me, Jesus has given me a way today to deal with this. I want to encourage you to bring that person to the cross. Maybe it's not your sin against them, maybe it's their sin against you. But start with your own heart. And then find a way, find the Jesus way to approach that person one-on-one. Even if it was a year ago, or two years ago, or five years ago, it's not too late to go back. How many years did Mariam and her mother sit with that conflict and that anger and that pain that was just tearing up their home from the inside? And in a moment of Mariam's crying out to God, God, where are you in this conflict? Where are you in my beloved Egypt? And all that's going on there. Where are you in my family and how that conflict plays out in my own house? In that place, God broke through for her. And she was able to come to her mother. And listen to her mother. See what her mother's heart really was about. That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for you and for me. We would be honest with God and honest with one another in dealing with the things that really hurt. Let's pray.